Welcome to That's a Wrap, episode number 22. Today we are talking about Wes Anderson, the much-awaited episode about Wes Anderson. That's all we're doing today. It's going to be our segment one, our one and only segment of principal photography. So, uh, yeah, it's the moment you've been waiting for. Today we have a very special guest, Laura Rosset, and she is going to talk to us about Wes Anderson, and uh, it's going to be rip-roaring fun time. So I hope you enjoy it. But first, we'll do pickups, just the three of us. Uh, I'm Eric Marshall. And I'm Nick Schlegel. And I'm Chris Gullin. And we're three guys with PhDs, about to be joined with someone else with a PhD. Uh, later, um, we talk like, who like to talk about film and media and other cultural stuff. Uh, what's new since last time, guys? It's been a couple of weeks now since the last uh, <laughs> since the last episode. Anything I'll new? Go first, because uh, I do have something new. Well, two things really. One is um, I'm hosting an event this this coming weekend. It's a four-day event, actually. Uh, a, a Bruin View, which is really fun, um, that I sort of, I put the program together and I'm hosting the event. And so there's double features every night with things in between. Um, you know, Three Stooges stuff, uh, Benny Hill skits, SCTV, things like that in between the features, trailers. And um, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. You know, it's, it's classic Bruin View. And and then the following week, I'm heading down to for Memorial Day to Columbus to to Cinevent, um, which is this event I go to uh, every year. The last well, it's never it's a yearly event. This will be my third year going down, and I get together with um, close friends, uh, some of which who have been on the show in the past, like Mark Clark and Brian Sen, and Dave Hogan, all guests on That's a Wrap, and we we'll be meeting down there and just you know it's I'm there for five six days watching movies. Uh, going to this uh, convention, uh, which is a movie memorabilia convention, and drinking and eating, and for me, it's like Christmas. I just I have the best best time. That's fantastic. That sounds like a lot That's of fun. Awesome. Yeah, and we know Chris. Anything new with you? Um, b- busy uh, finishing up the <laughs> semester at Lawrence Tech, and um, just a lot of the end of the semester, and then um, already thinking about fall and gearing up for that stuff and finding a place to live and the 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 the, the standard stuff so just, yeah. just really 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 busy yeah that's understandable i just started a new semester at u of m dearborn and uh it's pretty good so far i'm teaching intro to screen studies uh we watched uh rear window this week and uh, it's pretty good it's a pretty good class so far it's really quick it's one of those quick eight week summer classes where you're doing two weeks in, the, in a week and uh it's just really compressed and i love those those semesters because it's like it's like surviving a traumatic event together. People really bond because it's so fast and there's so much work and I'm throwing so much at them and they those 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 uh, summer semesters can be very magical at times and so I'm I'm hoping that happens and everything congeals with those classes. It seems like it's going to so that's that's pretty nice. That's fun stuff. But yeah, otherwise. Cool. Uh, yeah, just trying to you know get a lot of writing done over the summer, um, which I'm sure I'll say every pickups for every episode for the next like four or five episodes. But you know, 
that's par for the course, right? Yeah, I am trying to do do some writing. I just submitted to a a conference uh, that I go to, um, the Popular American Cultural Association of the South, uh, and this year it's being held. It's held every year in October, and this year it's being held in New Orleans, which is uh, one of my favorite cities anywhere. So, um, looking looking forward to that and seeing some of the folks who. Uh, who I've become friends with through past conferences and are re- reuniting and rekindling and having fun. Very good. The big easy. Big easy. The big easy. Yeah, that sounds like fun. It sounds great. You it's a great soak- conference and good good times. Yeah, soak up as much Louisiana as possible before you move to uh, <laughs> New, uh, New Hampshire, Massachusetts. Where Massachusetts. are you moving? <laughs> 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 New England? <laughs> New England somewhere. You know? Massachusetts. All right, cool. Yeah, it sounds sounds great. Well, uh, I think we've got a really good discussion coming up of Wes Anderson, and uh, I hope everybody uh, enjoys it. All right. Looking good? All right, well, let's get to it. Let's get to principal photography. Let's go. All, All right. right. Bam. <laughs> Welcome to Principal Photography of episode number 22. Today we are talking about Wes Anderson, and we have a special guest today. We have Lara Rosse with us. Hello. Say hi, Lara. Hi, Lara. Welcome. <laughs> a very, very special guest. Now, Wes Anderson is a kind of contentious topic here at, uh, at That's a Wrap, and uh, it, it took a while for us to get this together. So um, I know that of the regular members of 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 that's a wrap. Uh, myself, Nick, and Chris. I think that we have uh, three very different kind of opinions of 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 this work, and we'll get into that later. Uh, we invited Lara on because she's she's an expert in in the area. She wrote a dissertation on Wes Anderson on the music foot Wes Anderson, right, Lara? That is correct. My dissertation is called, in case anyone cares, is what is this <laughs> music auteur music in the films of Wes Anderson. And uh, it's all of his films up until uh, Darjeeling. I almost forgot which film I stopped at. <laughs> but Darjeeling, <laughs> uh, with a hint of uh, uh, Moonrise Kingdom and Fantastic Mr. Fox. Okay. That's, that's great. Uh, isn't it funny how, you know, when you're writing your dissertation, it's, it's everything. It's all you can think about. And then as time goes by, you're like, what did I... Did I include that in my? Uh, oh yeah. I don't know if you guys yeah. have that or Big not, time. but Big time. not me. No, because I'm still living. Yeah, well, Nick doesn't, because Nick's still working on. You're you're revising yours for publication, so you you can't do that. So, but yeah, for me, I'm like, what did I write about again? Did I include that text? So, no, that's great. So so the music of um, of 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 Wes Anderson. That's fantastic. Do you want to go over your main argument, or should we just? Uh, Lara, or should we jump in? Well, I mean, if I guess you know, if anyone cares, uh, basically, I know I uh, 
I take both a film music approach and an auteur approach, and overall how the music in his films, both the uh, existing music, so like the pop songs, and the score, um, kind of almost emulate kind of like his playlist, or as if we are listening to Wes Anderson's um, personal musical collection, though not all of it is stuff that you would find in his films, but um, looking at that, and then I map out uh, how music is used in all of his films, music emanating from musical devices, um, music that is uh, played during montage sequences and music during slow motion sequences, and how most of them are set to pre-existing music, though some of it is set to score, and, and that's it in a nutshell. So it's kind of like looking at all the different uses of music and then also how it turns him into an uh, basically an auteur melomane, which is a person that's obsessed with music. Mm-hmm. So Okay. And, that sounds, and there's yeah, whole, that sounds interesting. Um, yeah. And there is a whole and there is a whole canon of directors that kind of fall into this auteur music, auteur melomane stuff. So uh, probably the first one that you probably could all think of would be probably Quentin Tarantino. I mean my goodness right. he put his own jukebox in one of his films. Mm-hmm. So um, <laughs> Yeah, and uh, and then also even uh, someone like Jim, you know, Jarmish, and and even you know, um, George Scors- George <laughs> Scorsese, you know, a you know a bunch of yeah. directors, both contemporary and yeah. So uh, so it is one of those interesting topics that is getting more and more researched on, more and more books being written about, and uh, so there you go. Oh, that's great. That sounds that sounds really interesting. Usually, when we have a guest on, we uh, like the, in the past we've we, it's been like a, a straight interview sort of thing where we kind of grill them about their work and like let them share and stuff like that. But we decided that we're going to treat you as kind of a co-host today that's fine. and just uh, have a you know I think that's a, a better way to do it, especially since we all know you already and 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 all that. So that's absolutely um, fine. <laughs> yeah, I figured you'd think so. <laughs> you don't want to redefend your dissertation, right? Absolutely not. <laughs> okay. Although she did such a good job at the real defense. I was thank, there. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. That's great. So, uh, Wes Anderson's latest film, uh, the what's it called? The Budapest Hotel. Um, I've seen it. Lara, you've seen it. And I think Chris has seen it, right? The Grand um, Budapest Hotel. The, Grand Budapest Hotel. Yes, thank you. I knew I, I knew I was getting the title wrong. I couldn't figure out why. It's too early in the morning. Uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel. Uh, it's his, his latest film. There. And I remember when I saw it, I was talking to Nick, and I think what I said was something to the effect of, if you already don't like Wes Anderson, this film kind of encapsulates everything that you don't like about him. You know, if you already ha- don't like him, you're going to hate this movie. But I also think that if you already love Wes Anderson, I think everything that you love about him is probably in this movie as well, this latest movie. Uh, do you guys think that's fair, Lara and Chris, as you have seen it? Well, I okay, I'm going to go on the record and say this. So when I went and saw it, <laughs> I... Uh, I didn't have high expectations because, believe it or not, I thought that it was going to be too Andersonian, <laughs> and I was I was afraid that it was going to be too quirky, too much. But it works. It works so well, and it's 
I I love it, and yes, it is just like the Mendel's candy. I you know I want I want to eat it, um, and I want to experience it again. So I I feel um, that it is it it works, even though it is everything that could be Wes Anderson thrown into a film. It's all there, and uh, but it it all works works perfectly. And it's, uh, I believe it's already surpassed Tannenbaum's in box office. And people that aren't necessarily Wes Anderson f- fans are enjoying it. So is this his coda, you think? Possibly. I don't know. I it's, think that's a good way of putting it, though, Nick, is, is, is his coda. I mean, it's, it's he, I, I, and I kind of had this joke on Facebook when I said he out Wes Anderson himself. Um, you know, it, it, when I went into it, I, I, I don't want to say necessarily I had uh, high expectations, but with um, with the, the the subject matter and the few things that I had read about it, I was uh, curious, and uh, I just I thought it was the the hearkening back to the slapstick and the 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 heist film and and, and the caper and and everything, and with that that history thrown in, even though it's it's obviously completely fabricated, um, or most of it's fabricated with the the setting and everything like that. Mm. Uh, I thought it was uh, I thought it was delightful. I just I I thought it was a fantastic film. I really enjoyed it. And and just though going uh, the one step further in terms of for the different timelines and for the different stories using the different aspect ratios for the three timelines for Mm -hmm. the story within the story within the story. So it is, um, I thought that was really neat. And then also just the incorporation of, okay, yes, we have his dollhouse shots. It's all there. Um, We definitely have the use of uh, the animation, the 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 use of of uh, uh, sets and 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 models and that sort of thing, and a lot of the fantastic. But again, it it, it as Chris said, it does harken back to, you know, uh, films, you know, older films that are just fun, and it's a fun film. Even every time uh, um, Ray finds his character swears. <laughs> As an F bomb, it's just uh, you know. Yeah, that was funny to, to to see the character that they had set up as this this um, concierge who's very very proper, and then he just he'll he'll be like fuck. It's about, it's, really, um, it, really it's funny. a period piece, correct? Yes. Okay. What about the use of music then? Does he does he collaborate um, with Mother's Ball and then uses jukebox, or does he no approach on this one? Not at all. Uh, it is. It is mostly um, like folk, a mixture of folk and classical music that is from original you, compositions, or mo- most of it is, but some Alexander of it is existing. Plot, right? I mean, yes, for for the film. Yes, okay. but d- both. Um, so, um, yeah, Al- Alexander Desplat, and um, so it is a nice mixture of that. You know, taking Russian, Hungarian. Um, uh, you know, basically everything in kind of like that that part of Europe and their kind of like folk music and intertwining that with classical pieces as well. So is, is there some uh, so like even culturally endemic stuff like like gypsy music? Yes, a little bit. Oh, interesting. yeah, 
Yeah, there's really no no popular quote unquote popular music at all in the film. He he really no uses kinks, no, no kinks, no David Bowie, nothing like that. He really and stayed no Rolling period. Stones. Sorry, I cut no. you off, but yeah, no Rolling Stones. Yeah, I found the movie. I it had some you know hilarious hijinks and uh, and and all that. And, uh, hilarious hijinks. In hilarious hijinks. Hilarious hijinks. Um, I laughed out loud a few times at the film. I uh, appreciated the set design as I appreciate his set design in most of his movies. Um, I think you guys are hearing some of the air quotes and the distancing in my voice um, yes. right now. Um, I did leave the theater thinking that that was kind of intellectually and emotionally kind of nutritious as the popcorn I was eating was physically nutritious. Um <laughs> I left going, yeah, that was a Wes Anderson film, and you know I did laugh and it was good, and I'm glad I saw it. Um, but I didn't. I don't think I I loved it the way you guys did. But but it had some. There were some really good moments. It definitely had its moments, um, especially towards uh, some of the stuff in the end with in the uh, in the hotel, um, the shootout and all that. But yeah, whatever. I won't I won't rehash the the plot too much. But. Um, what I was afraid of, I was like you, Lara. I was afraid it was going to be too Andersonian, and I just want to—I'm going to kind of rehearse my own reaction to Anderson, generally speaking, to set up kind of the debate because he, this guy is a very um, kind of polarizing figure in culture right now. I think, right? Now, I mean, that's that's way overstating it, but in terms of cinema, I think he's polarizing. People love him or hate him for the most part, right? Yeah, there's um, a middle ground. With with him, yeah, there's very little middle ground. I, I think yeah. just on a kind of just reaction level, uh, response, you know, how people respond to him. And um, <clears throat> for me, I just rewatched um, Rushmore the other day, which I think is my favorite of his films, and uh, I laughed for the full like two thirds of that movie. And then I was like, man, this really drags on towards the end, which is too yeah. bad. But uh, Bill Murray's great. Um, Jason Schwartzman's great. Uh, y- you know, it's a good film. I like Bottle Rocket as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I like Tannenbaum's as much as most people, but um, but I thought it was good. <clears throat> you know, it was interesting, but it seemed like it was kind of more of the same. But then once Darjeeling Express came around, I remember this very well. I saw it at the Maple Theater around the corner from where Nick lives. And uh, I was by myself, and I was like, oh, I'll go see that movie. Went and saw it, and I remember leaving going, this is the same damn movie that I just saw from him three times in a row. I'm tired of it. I'm done with this guy, right? And then the Fantastic Mr. Fox comes out, and I'm like, oh, animation, okay. And I love the Fantastic Mr. Fox. I think it's a really good movie. Love might be strong, but I think it's a really good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he did um, Moonrise Kingdom. I'm like, okay, so he's getting outside of his comfort level with animation and now with children, right? Um, and I thought Moonrise Kingdom was delightful. I thought it was uh, very refreshing in a way. And, you know, you don't see a lot of movies about preteens, you know, that kind of age group. The adults were stupid, but I thought the kids were good. But they're still very Andersonian, you know, and the set design was amazing in that. The art direction in general in, in Moonrise was amazing. But I feel like... Um, <clears throat> The Grand Budapest Hotel is going back to kind of the Tannenbaums and uh, and maybe Rushmore. Oh, I, I skipped Life Aquatic, didn't I? Yep. <sighs> yeah. My favorite. Yeah. Film. Well, that That's probably tells you too, what, what I remember of it. Yeah. Really? Why? Um, <laughs> Bill Murray, right? 
Well, I mean, the the cast. I mean, what one of the things when it comes to Anderson is he uses this rotating repertory of 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 actors. So kind, of, you know, kind of like Christopher Guest. So you're you're almost guarantee. You know, if you like that cast, you're you're you're. Yeah. That's that's definitely a plus one. You have Bill Murray. You have yeah. Willem Dafoe. You you know, you have these other people. You have Angelica Houston. Um, but I I I loved the the set design and. Of Life Aquatic, I thought the story was great. Um, I thought the use of music was uh, absolutely fantastic. The translation into Portuguese of the uh, Sue George's Bowie stuff—it's—it um, it is my favorite. Now, I, I I will say, and I and I've I've even lectured on this when teaching that yeah, I mean he he does he takes this fractured family theme and kind of beats it to death. Um, over over the course of his 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 first few films, but then I think with with like you said with Fantastic Mr. Fox, Moonrise Kingdom, and now Grand Budapest, um, he he's he's going out a little bit. I mean, he has a signature, you know. Whether and 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 I think either you like that signature, or you don't. You know, besides the rotating repertory of actors, he uses the miniatures, he uses the 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 quirky. Um, Act uh, style style of acting. Um, his mise en scène is um, very signature to him as a director and as an artist. You know, if 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 that's not your bag, if you don't like that, then you're gonna. I think it's you're gonna have a very hard, difficult time getting into his films. Yeah, it's a very it's very much a matter of taste because yeah. um, uh, I'm the one that doesn't like Wes Anderson of of the four of us, and and interestingly, my trajectory mirrors. Eric's almost exactly. I saw Rushmore, um, not at the Maple, but in the, but at the Main, in in Royal Oak when it came out. Not Rushmore, sorry. Um, Bottle Rocket, Rocket, which um, I saw. I remember with, with Joe and Kush, and we enjoyed it. We loved it. We went for James Caan. I didn't know who the hell Wes Anderson didn't. I don't think anybody really knew who he was. No one really knew who he was. And um, no one knew who he was. I, yeah, I enjoyed it, and. Um, uh, eagerly went to go see Rushmore uh, after that, and really, really liked Rushmore as a as a Bill Murray uh, acolyte from you know the from SNL forward. Uh, that mm-hmm. was a really fun film, and I thought it was I thought it was interesting and new and quirky, and I loved its use of music, and and still admired the way Wes Anderson uses music in his films on multiple plane to, to fulfill multiple functions in multiple planes, and. Then Tannenbaum's, I thought, yeah, it was wasn't for me. Um, I I didn't care for it. I was immediately drawn to it because I uh, of my love of Gene. Gene Hackman. Hackman. Yes, although there's very you know through Laura, I found yeah. out that there's very interesting you know behind the scenes stories there, which doesn't surprise me. I mean, Gene, Gene doesn't really kind of he you know he's at that time he was probably 75. And, and maybe even a bit older, I don't know, but somewhere around there. And I don't know if he plays well. He doesn't really play well with others. Yeah, well, he plays very well with others. I don't think he plays well with, you know, people who are in their 20s and, and probably, you know, in 30s <laughs> and feel... I mean, he grew up, he came up through a different period, through a different, he came up through the studio system. He has a different, I think, work ethic. Uh, and so I, I just think there was a clash of personalities there, I'm sure, but... Uh, uh, Definitely. And and um, I didn't care for it. Uh, then, if I'm memory serves, I saw the sh- the short for Darjeeling, which was the something hotel hotel, sh- hotel Chevalier. Chevalier, which I hated. <laughs> I, I nearly. Wow. <laughs> and uh, um, 
and, and I said, I have no way am I going to go see Darjeeling. Um, and I didn't. Uh, Life Aquatic, for all the reasons you guys just said, was one of one of the films I really I enjoyed. Although I felt like, I don't know, that perhaps he was trying to be quirky for quirky's sake. I couldn't quite figure out what, what was going on with Wes Anderson from, from Bottle Rocket moving forward. Um, and then... Oh, help me out here, guys. After F, uh, Life Aquatic, uh, oh, the, after Life Aquatic was Darjeeling, oh, yeah, and the then after which I didn't like, I didn't go see Darjeeling Limited. I did see Moonrise Kingdom, and and delightful is a is an appropriate, uh, I think, adjective for that. Although my main problem with that film was I don't know if it's I think it's Airplane Two, where you have um, this uh, w- one of the multiple storylines in Airplane Two are these two little kids. Dressed up as old old people, you know, and they're the way they enjoy their dinner and sip. I'll have tea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can no, I sit next to you? Yeah. And I'm like, I just saw the kids from Airplane Two in a particular film. Um, so I'm like, okay, but, but again, I thought it was a, it was, um, it was, it was. Uh, I felt more emotionally tied to that film to, than any film that he had ever done. And um, and after that, I think the verdict just came in that Wes and I we don't get along. And I'm like, I, got, I have I have other films I have to watch, other things I have to write. <laughs> I put them on the back burner, sort of indefinitely for now. And that's my response to it. Yeah. Which is one of those things. I think things you guys where... just helped me figure something out. It's what? Oh, sorry. <laughs> I was just gonna say you guys helped me figure something out. Bill Murray equals good. No Bill Murray equals bad for me. That's why Darjeeling and Grand Budapest don't hang out. Uh, don't hold up for me. Maybe uh, it, it just occurred when Chris was talking. I was like, he's in Tenenbaums. Well, he's in there briefly, right? He's he's in um, all. He's, he's in, in Grand Budapest too, briefly. He's in every single one except uh, Bottle yeah. Rocket. But it's it's what is his role? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, so is it minor? Larger part, minor part, yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, but, go ahead, Laura. Great. Now my train of thought has been I'm cut sorry. off. Oh, 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 okay. No, no. In terms of, uh, I have a bunch of people that what I tell them what my dissertation is about or what I've, you know, what my research is about. I will either get the, oh my gosh, I really love Wes Anderson. It's so great. Oh my gosh, that's so amazing. Or I get the, I hate him. Why would you write something? You know, and um, and the most recent response was, I got the, well, the characters are all zombies. Okay, so and and I'm not talking about zombies, but I think it's because, uh, the person uh, that watched, you know, was watching him felt that there was no connection to these characters, and especially in Tannenbaum's, how. Uh, many of uh, much of the dialogue, many of the actions, is done in such a deadpan, um, you know, almost monotone way, uh, so that there is this difficulty of um, identifying with the characters. And I think that's, th- and I think that can also be a problem with some of his films. Is that um, how does how does an audience member who do they align themselves with, who do they identify with, and if there isn't anyone that they can, it can be very difficult. Yeah. 
So I agree completely. I agree completely. Yeah, it's that well wooden said, delivery yeah. that he that he demands. I mean, he treats these his actors like parts of the set, like they're part of the set design. You know, they're just. I mean, especially in Grand Budapest, I felt like these people are just reading lines. Just, they could they could be literally just reading the script in a in a dry like table read. That's how I that's how I feel a lot of times. I, that's that. That hits the nail on the head, I think, Lara, for, for why a lot of people don't like or don't respond to Wes Anderson. Unfortunately, it puts him into a, uh, an atmosphere of comparison with other more contemporary auteurs with larger bodies of work who have been more willing to branch out and take chances and work within genre like Scorsese um, or, 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 or Woody Allen, who was once considered very sort of pigeonhole director who, who uh, if you look at his body of work, mm-hmm. took amazing risks throughout the body of his career. Um, especially lately. Especially the last 10 years, yeah. But uh, and, and that kind of frames Wes in a, uh, not negative, but in a, a, a limited role as an auteur, where it, just as it does Tarantino and sort of the new generation of auteurs who are kind of like spoiled auteurs. They're not, they don't have <laughs> the demands to work within, you know, the, the, the broader atmosphere of, of genre. That's why, like, that SNL skit, I think, really put its finger on why uh, Wes ultimately sort of falls down for me, you know, with, with Ed Norton as the Owen Wilson character. Oh, the the, the Halloween one. Halloween. <laughs> that was great. I love that. That was. But, but it's yeah, it's it's great. It's one of those things where uh, it's the you know the people that put it together got it, and those those that understood his aesthetic. And I think the thing is, is that again, if you don't like the aesthetic, if you don't like his signature, if you don't like his style you're not going to get it. You're not going to like it. You're still going to hate it. You're still going to be a hater, Nick. I, you know. I'm not a hater. I, I don't, I'm no. not a hater. It, and you're right. It does fall down, or not, but it does boil down to, obviously, taste in this case. And, you know, I, um, I don't, I, it, it's like West. it's kind of like I don't, I don't feel the love for cinema there. I feel the love for himself, <laughs> if that makes any sense. I, I I don't know if I feel the love for himself. I feel the love for art in general um, because of the fact that he 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 works the the, the with his music and his set design um, and his art direction. He works with you know drawing inspiration from various um, artistic mediums, whether it's painting, whether it's miniatures, sculpture. Things like that. I, I, I. That's kind of the way I look at. I, I look at his his stuff. Um, I don't. I don't necessarily see him as a pure cinephile. Yeah. Someone like a like a Scorsese, who you know, scores who like a Scorsese who could who could teach a film history class or a film theory class. Uh, you know, I I don't necessarily see him that way. I see him as someone who his uh, his background is really kind of. Um, polyvalent, in which he's has all of these different artistic mediums that he admires, and he likes to use them in his work. You say polyvalent, I say spoiled. Spoiled. <laughs> well, <laughs> which also might come back. Which also That's might why come. Gene Hackman <laughs> didn't get along. <laughs> uh, but it also might come back to upbringing as well, and also the issue of class. That is also something that is brought up quite a bit in his films, and is also a criticism in his films, since uh, it is uh, usually that it's a um, 
uh, white male privilege is, uh, you know, predominant in many of his films and that sort of thing. But um, I wanted to just mention when Chris said that there's many things that he admires and he uses. I mean, hello, the helicopter in Fantastic Mr. Fox is modeled after TC's from Magnum PI's helicopter, <laughs> and um, and there are several television um, quotes. I mean, he quotes um, Miami Vice uh, in the Bottle Rocket in the Bottle Rocket short. You know, he quotes. You know, or they have characters talking about uh, Starsky and Hutch. So it's one of those uh, things. Wait a minute, Laura. Are you equating simple? No, like, no. Like, like, like. Um, very sort of surface intertextual references no. to being a cinephile? No, I'm just, no, I'm saying, I'm not saying a cinephile. I'm saying that he puts in, and by the way, I just made television references. So, no, 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 so, no, no, no. I said intertextual sort of pop culture, yeah. Pop I mean, culture, so, yeah, no, yeah, and there's is, a lot which of. Which is the way in which, that's the what culture we live in. That's not Right. And and no, but there's tons and tons of things that he has in there, and I think it's it's. I mean, it's one of those things where actually there's a list of ten films that Grand Budapest Hotel is you know influenced by, and and uh, and so I think that to say that he couldn't teach a class in film history. Um, Mm, you know, he he knows what he likes, and he does actually like a wide variety of stuff. Um, I think that maybe you're just not seeing it, um, or it's just stuff that you don't. Uh, maybe it doesn't resonate with you. That's no, because Chris, Chris, yeah, Chris said that. Now. Yeah, I would, I I would take exception to that. I, I I see it, but when I when I'm talking about, I'm not saying that he couldn't teach a class in film history, um, but. When you listen to interviews with Scorsese, the guy the guy is a film historian. I mean, he I mean he 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 talks extensively about his influences from every and and his knowledge of the silent era of the wartime. I mean, the guy has seen fucking everything. Oh, yeah, so film brats are all highly filmed. The De Palmas, the Scorsese's, the Lucas's, the Spielberg's. Yeah, they grew, grew up in that. Yeah, era. Old, they, grew, they grew generation. up in that era. Yeah, that, that old school generation. And I'm not I'm not at all saying that that Anderson doesn't have a good solid. Um, background in film history, and I, I I know that, and I see that in his films, and I see the 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 references that he's making. I'm just saying that there's a difference between someone like a Scorsese, um, who brings kind of that that lifelong. Whenever the documentary is being made, they're like, "Can we get Martin Scorsese to talk to us?" About right, yeah. and and I, and I think that it, it said a lot when 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 Scorsese said that. Um, Rushmore. It was either Rushmore or Bottle Rocket was his Bottle favorite Rocket. film of Bottle Rocket was his favorite film of the year. That says uh, a lot. And I think the other thing that we should be considering when talking about about, about Anderson is he's on his what sixth feature film. Uh, Grand Budapest was like sixth or seventh feature film, and he's in his forties. I mean, he's he's probably taking hope- his time. Yeah, he's taking his time, but he's. Likely got uh you know a, another twenty twenty five thirty years of filmmaking ahead of him. Ooh, so who knows? Another six mil. Watch out! Your record's about to be seven films. Seven, seven films. films. Okay. But uh, go. But look at how many is 
Tarantino directed. I don't like Tarantino. <laughs> I know you don't. Like no, I was talking. I was talking more about Scorsese in the sense that right. You know, the, Here, here's the here's a good way. To, here's a good way to go. Here's. Here's a good way to go with this. Okay, speed aside. Okay, because we know Woody Allen puts out a film a year, well, right? Yeah, I think that's Woody Allen. Uh, okay, <laughs> but speed aside, because the reason I'm picking Woody Allen is because the three of us are all on record as liking Woody Allen, right? His first seven films. I just pulled it up. What's up, Tiger Lily? Take the money and run. Bananas. Everything you always wanted to know about sex. Sleeper. Love and death. And then the seventh was Annie Hall. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, but you take those first six; they're they are all very similar, you know. Right. They're right. they're all awesome, <laughs> in my opinion. Of course, but um, but then he went, you know, but they're all very similar, they're all very slapsticky, you know. I think at that point of Woody Allen's career, now granted, that was between 1966 and 1975. Yeah, that was only eight years, 1911, right? So, but Andy Hall, I think, broke the mold a little bit, and then he went to Interiors after that, which is my least favorite film of his. And then Manhattan, what we consider the heyday of Woody Allen. So you, you, one might make the argument that with only seven films, you know, that you could see the pigeonholing or the or the kind of stylistic uh, similarity between the films. Out of that equation, though, because we grow and mature. Yeah, I know. Eyes, yeah, so. I agree. I agree. But I'm just, that, that, even as I'm saying this out loud, I'm not even believing it. I'm not even. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm, I'm putting it out there as a as a potential argument. You know, but. <laughs> It's hard to. Sorry, I mean that's just. It's funny because like visually on my screen, um, Lara and Chris are on the left side, and Nick and I are on the right side. <laughs> it's it's funny that we're like just by the randomness of Google Hangouts, we're just all we're kind of separated here. So I'm trying to make the case, but it's it's hard. But you could, I mean, you might, I mean, Grand Budapest Lenny Hall. I mean, but um, yeah, I mean, Scorsese, how fast does he go? Did he go in the beginning of his career? Um. Uh, well, not not really. Know. No, I uh, know. Um, Alice. Oh wait, wrong one. He was uh, a film a year, I'm sure. No, 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 no. He's only directed 22 feature-length I films. I doubt it. 22. He did not direct a, a uh, film a year. Here. Only 22. Uh, well, he's had again, a long career. He has a long career, so it's we're it's we're talking about potatoes, potatoes when we're talking about how many films so somebody's released. So what? Fifteen years in, and he's made what? Seven. Seven. Okay. Let's see here, uh, Scorsese. Since we're doing this, uh, who's that knocking at my door? I don't know that. Um, uh, it's, it's good. <laughs> sixty-seven. That's sixty-seven. Okay. So then, uh, Boxcar Bertha, 72, Mean Street, 73, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, 74, Taxi Driver, 76, that's five in nine years, uh, New York, New York, Context that's six in 11 years. The of the studio system in the late 60s there, so in the independence. Yeah, no, but I'm just saying, we were just talking about, no, I agree, because... Yeah, just to just to prove your point, Nick. Uh, once you get to eighty-five, he's making one a year for up until nineteen ninety, ninety-one. He he goes really fast with Goodfellas, Kate Fear, Age of Innocence. Those are really back to back to back to back. Well, no, so, I mean I'm not comfortable in the nineties, nineties, and and uh, um, Martin in one respect though, which is risk taking, um, and and breadth of work. Yeah. Yeah, I was just I the only reason I, I brought agree. that up is because I like I was I was talking about them as far as their their history and all of all of that. I wasn't I wasn't trying to go toe to toe and say, you know, Wes versus Marty. Um 
per 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 se. You know, not to mention the fact that one is at the end of his career and one is you know right in the middle of it. Yeah, and Lara's point I think was is uh, I don't know if Lara's point got lost a little bit, but I think you were saying Lara that he's of a different generation. That that's that was that's what accounts for some of the TV references. Mm-hmm. Yes, is that kind of your point? That and many of part the of part of my point and many of the more contemporary the directors that come are coming out uh, you know of the same age as Anderson. Um, have a mixture of, uh, or really limited in terms of, they didn't go to film school. He's a philosophy major. Mm-hmm. So, um, and the same thing, you know, Linkletter, you know, didn't really, you know, go to film school. Tarantino, we already know about his background. You know, he didn't. Um, Paul Thomas Anderson, no film school. Uh, you know, um, Soderbergh, no, no film school. Oh, I mean, he, you know, mm-hmm. so, yeah, Fincher. Well, <laughs> well, in fin- and Fincher, <laughs> you know, he, he uh, advertising and music videos and Spike yeah. Jones, the same thing, you know, but, but Fincher got to work on uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, not Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, Re- uh, Return of the Jedi. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, I, I always love the, he lived Fincher. across, this, yeah, Fincher did. He lived across <laughs> the street from Lucas and he, yeah. that's how he got into film. That's how he got into, he worked on post-production stuff. Yeah, he was, was pretty young. That's 83. I did not know that. Yes, yes. And and so, yeah, so there's a whole thing with, you know, with Fincher. But there's, so there's the group that came from music videos and the group mm-hmm. that have a love for film, but they don't have the same solid background as you would have with your Scorsese's or even, oh, my God, I'm going to say it, like Spike Lee, you know, where... Who did all go to film school, Spike Lee and the Coen's. Exactly. So so there is, you know, a little bit of a, of a difference in terms of education. It's not going to say that they're passionate. They're not passionate about it. They are. But, um, but also, depending on the film and what they're being asked about, I mean... Um, I mean, when Salinger died, who's one of the people that, you know, was interviewed about Salinger, of all things? Wes Anderson. You know, and you're like, why? Well, Tannenbaums. And um, and the whole resurgence of the Benjamin Britten stuff for Moonrise Kingdom and talking about Britain. You know, that's, you know, one of those things where, I mean, he's not stupid. You know, he's just not always talking about film uh, when he's talking about film his films are talking about other things and the art thing, which we haven't really touched in. I mean, we've got the painting in the grand Budapest hotel, but there's also lots of other pieces of actual physical art that are in Tannenbaum's. And we've got some crazy, <laughs> crazy art in Tannenbaum's by contemporary, uh, I, I don't know its name, but, uh, but even like going back to grand Budapest with the, you know, is it the boy with apple? Boy with uh, apple. You could actually then. It, it, it's funny that you're, you're mentioning that because there's there's probably an entire uh, there's probably a book there um, on the art in Wes Anderson films. Right, and so it's one of those things where it's it's kind of an interesting phenomenon. And then the interesting phenomenon about Wes Anderson is how those that are obsessed or really appreciate Wes Anderson take his aesthetic or take what they like and turn it into their own art or turn it into something that there's their, their own. So there's like a gallery 
in San Francisco that every year has a, an exhibit called Bad Dads. And Bad Dads uh, is all art of Wes Anderson and both painting, sculptures, you know, that sort of thing. And it's, I think it's now five years running. And so it is one of those things where, uh, so that's going on uh, every year. And then there's also um, like other, you know, other people that are taking, you know, his work and turning into something else. So like, like one of the newest things, especially for those that love the music in his films, um, American Laundromat Records they they are known for their tribute albums, but their latest is called "I Saved Latin," a tribute to Wes Anderson, which is everyone covering their favorite songs from Anderson films. So it's one of those things where there's a lot of people that are are taking their appreciation or love of Wes Anderson and kind of um, turning running it into with it. running with it, turning into fan art, turning it to fan music turning it uh you know into into other creative endeavors That's so cool. so um yeah i'm glad i can't see nick's face right now because um oh, I, I think, think that cool. what, what, culture is you do oh yeah absolutely just because mm, I, I don't okay. like films, I'm not, I wouldn't sort of like, you know, I mean, people don't like things I like. That's fine, you know. But um, I think that's I, cool. There are people, who, though, I think there are people who sometimes make the argument that they don't like somebody like Wes Anderson because of the people who like him and do that sort oh, of thing. Oh, yeah, they're very bad, yes. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, I think I've heard that argument somewhere before. I don't, I don't subscribe. I think I've heard it too. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't subscribe to it, but I, but, uh, I think that yeah. Eric. Well, now that you mention it, it sounds but, strikingly but, familiar. I, t I take it you guys have had this conversation before. Once or twice. Oh, All okay. Right. Well, I want to point out just one tidy. <laughs> yeah, other... I'm, not, I'm trying to bait Nick, but I'm gonna, I'm, I'm trying to bait him, but I'm not gonna. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know Let me tell you a story. I went out with. Uh, a long time ago, I went out with a uh, with a woman. This is uh, back around ten and mom's time, and uh, I wasn't sure. It was one of those things where, like, I wasn't sure if it was a date or if we were just hanging out. I was kind of hoping it was a date, you know, sort of thing. And uh, and I show up to the place, and she she actually had a friend with her, so it probably wasn't a date. That you know, I figured that out. But that was, but anyway, we're still talking, blah blah blah. And she kept going to the jukebox and playing like what must have been the entire soundtrack of the Tannenbaums, real Tannenbaums. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, which is it's a good soundtrack for sure, but it seemed like the whole conversation was just. Wes Anderson quotes and like references to him, which has nothing to do with Wes Anderson, really. Just has to do with this particular person. But I left uh, dejected and disheartened and sad. I'll oh, never date so another Wes Anderson day, lover day, again. Day, day. <laughs> is, that your, is that what you were thinking? No, so anyway, uh, this guy's fans again. No, no. It's just like, man, maybe that's where I, th this comes from. You know what I would like to see from Wes Anderson? I would like to see him be the set designer or art director on a film. Maybe even write the film. He can be the writer and set designer, but let someone else direct. Hmm. What do you guys you don't think like about his that? direction? No, I think it's an interesting experiment. No. It'd be a clash of uh, yeah. wills, I think. Yeah. Big time. <laughs> probably. I, yeah, yeah, probably. I I think it would yeah, I think it would be difficult cuz even though he has his cast of collaborators, I think think there's a control thing or at least uh 
there's probably going to be that minutia <laughs> that uh, mm-hmm. he won't like. Uh, and and well, actually, Fantastic Mr. Fox is a perfect case of that. Oh, actually, because yeah. uh, because you know mostly the animation. Yeah, you might have a director that isn't the you know director of animation. And there was the clash between him and is it Tristan Oliver? Um, I don't know the the person that did the the actual directing of the animation of the stop motion puppetry. And yes, there was a whole online clash between the two. And so there is your example uh-huh. right there, Fantastic Mr. Fox, uh, where the and um, and the difficulty and the but was, actually, was he like? Was he was he like? Can we make these animated figures less animated? Can they be more deadpan and less emotive? Was that was that the? No, no. But uh, Anderson would see the work that was done and then request uh, changes. And anyone that does anything with stop motion knows how painstaking mm-hmm. the process is. And it could be something yeah. as simple as well. There wasn't as much of of the fur movement that I liked. I wanted the fur to move, you know, more a certain way. So, um, you know, or the hand gesture wasn't quite right. You know, it was like there were little, there were little things, but they did it. So, and also it was like, and it was also because, oh, he's directing from his house in Paris. And uh, we're here in London, you know, working very hard and, you know, that sort of thing. So there was also that going on. But he worked more closely with the actors um, than, uh, than he did with the, with the actual animation. I mean, he worked on all parts of it. But, but there is your example right there, Fantastic Mr. Fox. And it's still a wonderful film. Now, he lives in Paris. He's taken out of his comfort zone, like, like, in, like working with Hackman then. What happens? he's still able to you know get it done um and actually he never complains it's always the other person that somehow has uh the complaint and though hackman all the stories about hackman having a hard time working with anderson is coming through has come through like Angelica Houston and other actors. Yes, other actors. Um, these are stories that are not coming from Anderson. Uh-huh. I mean, he might say, "Well, yeah, what's a different way of doing things?" <laughs> you know, right. something like that. Um, and the same thing with the, with the issue with Fantastic Mr. Fox. He never publicly, you know, yeah. he never publicly bashed anyone. So, actually, you know, so there's that going on as well. So it's kind of interesting just to see. But the product still goes out, and people not knowing this background information. I mean, it's yeah, exactly. Just like it's irrelevant, but funny that Anderson um, asked Gwyneth Paltrow to, you know, try to seduce Paul McCartney so they can get the Beatles songs in the film, (laughs) and uh, it didn't work. And basically, Gwyneth Paltrow did go bowling with uh, Paul McCartney. And then he said, "Oh no, I don't have control. You know, I don't control all the rights to all the songs." So. Yeah, does, doesn't Michael Jackson have control over those, or didn't he? He, he, he did. For a while. He did. So. But well, yeah. at least you get to you got the bowl with Paul McCartney. I mean, that would be. Right. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yes. 
the reason the reason I said that about the direction is because um, I just uh, because of the way he directs his actors, I, you know, the delivery is really distracting to me. And I don't know what the deal was in Budapest Hotel with all the all the all those fast zoom shots. And all those crazy camera movements are starting to drive me nuts a little bit. But I guess that's more of a cinematographer. But I just feel like, like you know, if if he stuck to what he's good at, art direction and, and maybe writing, and, and if someone else directed the actors, you know, it might you might come up with something. It's not going to happen. But he certainly garnered some um, a lot of academic attention, though. Um, I was going through some of my old cinema journals. Um, and by going through, I mean throwing away. And um, I was uh, I ran across two, almost cons- both from 2007. Um, one's by David Orgeron called Le Camera Crayola, Authorship Comes of Age in the Cinema of Wes Anderson. And the other one is uh, by Joshua Gooch, Making a Go of It, Paternity and Prohibition in the Films of Wes Anderson. And there are abstracts here that I won't bother reading. But, I mean, for Cinema Journal to do two, uh, you know, within the same year, they're both from 2007 within... Uh, yeah two issues of each other like and this is seven years ago but i i, I imagine there's still a lot of academic work going on um i hope so right know? lara since <laughs> you want to know uh, yeah i'd like <laughs> to know wanna... yeah, okay that's, that's why you're here Mara. okay so well hey uh, an essay of mine is uh just got published <laughs> hey, in, congratulations. in a collection called the films of wes anderson Critical Essays on an Indiewood Icon, edited by Peter C. Kuntz. So, there you go. No, I, no, I just want the listeners <laughs> to know that I did not know that. I did that. It was not a setup or anything. I was seriously asking. I didn't know that either. That's so. great. Uh, it, I, I didn't realize it was official. I didn't realize it was officially available. I, yeah. My copy has not arrived yet, but um, but yes, it is. It is available and a I'm wide variety. <laughs> yeah. So um, a wide variety of articles uh, that came out. Um, there was also uh, a few years ago. A now I lost the sheet. Uh, there was a collection of uh, essays uh, of critical work on Anderson for the journal, the uh, the New Review of Film and Television Studies, and the entire uh, edition was all on Wes Anderson. Uh, and okay. in terms of published books on Anderson, there was a book called. Um, that's called Wes Anderson, Why His Movies Matter by Mark Browning. And it was the first complete book on Wes Anderson. It's not perfect. Um, there, there are some issues and, and, and that sort of thing. But overall, it was, it's, it's a good book, and uh, hopefully we'll get a revision to you know, correct some of the mistakes that are in it. But probably the most definitive, but it's a long-form uh, interview, and it's done by the first person that actually interviewed Anderson back in the Bottle Rocket days, back at the Bottle Rocket short. Mm-hmm. So, and also someone from Texas is Matt Zoller Zietz's uh, the Wes Anderson collection. So it is it is a book that is extremely detailed, and also you know and has a bunch of. Pictures, um, images of influences uh, from the different films, and also, you know, it's it's just a very intense book um, that is, you know, devoted to Anderson, but again, takes this long interview form. And it's not necessarily scholarly, um, 
and it is one of those where I think it's been printed several times, but that was based on video essays that were for the um, the Museum of Moving Image website that uh, Matt Zoller-Zietz did called uh, uh, The Sub Substance of Style, and it was all mapping out uh, the influences uh, that of Anderson, so looking at how Scorsese influenced him, how Mike Nichols, how Hale Ashby, how... Um, Oh gosh, I'm going to uh, Richard Lester, and of course uh, Charles Shorts and Bill Melendez, and all of those influences, and uh, and Truffaut. So for a guy who's only done seven films, there's quite a bit of literature on him. Yes, and then there's still the essays, and there's the Rushmore Academy, which is a website all devoted to everything <laughs> Anderson. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff out there that collects both. You know, that talks about both the scholarly stuff and the um, and the like the pop culture stuff. Yeah, I'm not terribly surprised by that um, because I, I feel like I don't respond to him, uh, especially lately, that 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 much on an emotional level. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't enjoy. It. I know Nick doesn't. Um, I don't. Uh, but I understand why there's a scholarly attention because I think that when when Bottle Rocket and Rushmore came out, he was doing something that was very very different from yeah. what was going on at the time and something that was that was genuinely new yeah. and i think that as he as he moves along i think he's still doing something that is unique it stands out um he 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 that's why that's why we wanted to do this um, episode even though we have differing opinions of of you know his yeah, worth i guess so, whether so, it's worth so, watching uh, insulated there you know in that middle period that you and i were talking about eric where we started to get lose interest was yeah, the trajectory for me in regard to his work was, yo, look at this cool, this cool indie flick, man. It harkens back to you know uh, European movements that were different from mainstream Hollywood techniques and and methodologies and so on and so forth. And um, and then we 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 move forward uh, via the films we've talked about in this chronology. And then I just feel like he was a record player on on you know going on repeat. Uh, yeah. repeat. And and so he, he so insular there for a while. He became more and more insular to me, uh, and more and more sort of into his his own world, which is good good for artists, but also it 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 can go into an area a dangerous area of overstatement. Yeah. I, you know, I think we've we've drawn out some of the comparisons, some of the uh, like the Woody Allen, the Scorsese uh, comparisons, and the contrast between the film school generation and Wes Anderson. I think that, it, that those contrasts, I think, are really well laid out. Um, someone mentioned Tarantino earlier. I think it was Lara. I think Tarantino is a good. Um, Comparison, just in the sense of uh, constantly referencing other things in the past, and and I don't know how much of a control freak Tarantino is. I imagine he probably is. He I think probably he's worse than is. Anderson, yeah. I, yeah, I think they fall into the same category. I was trying to find a nice way of saying they fall into that same category, probably. And they have what seems like complete control or at least near complete control of, of what they do, which is pretty rare these days the in Hollywood. Auteur. There's my new article, yeah. right? This, <laughs> the spoiled auteur, there you go. And Laura, one of those books you mentioned says something about Indie Wood, and I think that, that I'm trying to I'm trying to suss my way through um, kind of figuring out where to put him and how to how to kind of account for this insularity that Nick's talking about. And I think part of it is that complete control and the desire to have complete control. 
right, in a way, um, which we don't see. I mean, how often do we see that? Maybe Soderbergh in parts of his career, some of his smaller films? Uh, uh, Soderbergh, um, I would say uh, many of Linkletter's stuff, not all of yeah. it, many of Linkletter's stuff. Um, you could also say even Paul Thomas Anderson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah. I mean, how many of his films are, uh, you know, short? <laughs> yeah. Punch Drunk Love. But who? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know? Right, right, right. And, yeah. and uh, yeah, so it's one of those things where um, they all, and, and Indie Wood, because actually, Anderson, his, you know, his first film was, you know, Columbia. Second film is, you know, is Touchstone, which is, you know, Disney. Yeah. You know, and now he's, you know, yeah. and now it's, uh, what is it? Focus, you know, focus features. focus features. So it's one of those things where he's never been, except for the bottle rocket short, it's never been truly independent. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, he seems like, to have a, a lot sorry, of control. No, no, I was just going to reiterate what I said already. That he seems to have a lot of control uh, despite that. But go ahead, Nick. But like, but like uh, uh, Laura states, uh, you know, Anderson is is more humble in interviews. Tarantino, I mean, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of part, <laughs> you know, like I mean, Wes Anderson is much more um, cooperative and willing to work with a composer, for example. Whereas Tarantino has, I mean, he's come out publicly. There are quotes out there. Lara and I have, you know, traded yes. back and forth, which <laughs> kind of like uh, I mean, desecrates the 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 role of the composer. You know, and and yeah, but at the same time, I would say that 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 you know Tarantino has been a little bit more willing, and I mean a little bit more willing, to let loose the chain, the bondage of his sort of like uh, genre handicaps. You know, he gave us essentially a western as his last film. Uh, it's a Tarantino western, <laughs> that is for certain. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But it is nonetheless a sort of western. Um, and and so you know maybe that might signal a, a willingness for him to branch out and to work within the templates of genre while subverting them the way say Altman would you know, um, and so I hope to see Wes do that more. I I was really charmed by uh, Moonrise Kingdom. Um, I still there was still something like a little like pebble in my shoe with the whole experience you know <laughs> I just wanted the kids to be kids and not sort of like kids as he's with with like witty adults Wes Anderson's kids yeah Wes, <laughs> um, but uh, Wes's kids you know and 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 it's no secret throughout this whole thing that I'm just I've been the I've been the guy during this whole podcast that's been going nah, 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 you know, I'm not a big fan but I mean there are things I do admire about him I've just sort of like I've got other stuff I need to look at. Well, also, just in terms of the Moonrise Kingdom is his first period picture. So it's the first time where almost all of his films before that are, you know, anachronistic, where they are films that are set in the contemporary time in which the film is being filmed, though you never know exactly where it's placed. You know, it's, it's almost like, well, is it the eighties? Is it the seventies? Is it the sixties? You know, when is it? Uh, and right. And so, um, you know, it's, it's especially one of those things where 
no, they they all are set in contemporary times. It's almost like their characters are trapped in you know a time before in this you know you know time of nostalgia and that sort of thing. But Moonrise Kingdom is purely within, and he had to use the constraints of the time. Is that one uh, of your favorite uh, favorite Anderson films? No, my favorite is still Life Aquatic. But well, one, one of well, I mean, there's not like there's a whole lot to choose from, but. <laughs> Really? Come on, Nick. Get over it. Uh, well, <laughs> no, no, no. But, but, uh, but one of the seven is your favorite. <laughs> one of the seven. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, the life aquatic. No, no, no. I said, is it, is it yeah. one of your favorites? Is what I. Oh yeah. I mean, no, I it's 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 a, it, no. It is it is a favorite. It is it is great. And I but I think it's it's one of those things where there is. Believe it or not, there's like more rules, and um, and in terms of though, yes, we've got the house that is definitely a dollhouse that was created for it. Um, there are a lot of real sets, um, and uh, but then again, it was shot on an island, <laughs> so he was able to control everything within. Uh, nature and set design and that sort of thing, but again, it utilized um, the time of the film, you know, in the early '60s, uh, and uh, and so the music had to be anything that was from of that time or before it. So that's why we have no Rolling Stones. That's why we have no Kinks, but that's why we have, you know, Hank Williams. Kind of uh, like Grand Budapest in the sense that he had he had certain constraints that he had to fall in with that film as well because even though it's in this fictionalized country of Zubrowka or Zubrovka or however the fuck you pronounce it, uh, it's still you know, he sets out when this film takes place so so he had to kind of rein himself in um, about to being too anachronistic and too cutesy with 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 that stuff. So maybe I don't know, maybe his next film he'll he'll continue to to do that. I mean, you know, it's it is interesting and, and and yes, he only has seven films, but you know, you look at other prominent filmmakers, and and you know, we we can't, they all can't be a Woody Allen, right? Um, no. But but you well, know, I have the it, opposite but, problem. People say, "What's your favorite Jess Franco film?" And I'm like, "Well, there's 200, so it's kind of hard." Right, right, right. I mean, he can't be a Jess Franco. He can't be an A.R. Rockman. You know, he can't be, um, can't be you know one of these people. But. Uh, it it is interesting though to kind of watch how his his work matures over over the the course of these films. It'll be interesting to see what he does next and how that whether when whether it starts kind of to when it starts to, to mature, I think you'll be right. Oh, I don't think, oh, I don't think wow. there's any maturation going on there. That's I think that's Nick's problem, and I think that's my problem too. Grand Budapest to me is very there's very little distinction between that and like I said, like the other Tannenbaums. I don't think there's any match he uses, he uses the same font on the inner titles you know he's got the aspect ratio thing going on which i think is pretty clever and cool and new i haven't seen that before you know different aspect uh, ratios for different time periods but i mean eh. I, I don't i don't know eh. i don't i don't i don't think it's the same font I'm gonna. Dang it! Seriously. Yeah. And and. Oh well. Never mind. FYI, Moonrise Kingdom. A whole new font was created for Moonrise. Yeah, a completely different font for Moonrise Kingdom. Oh, that's maturation. Well, I see. I've been putting like Fantastic Mr. Fox and Moonrise Kingdom in brackets in his career so far. 
You know, because I think that they're very interesting and unique, and and so far they're in brackets, and I want to see what he does beyond those. But you know, just going back to, I don't know why I'm so interested in comparing right now, but um, Paul Thomas Anderson, you mentioned, right? Also yes. seven films: Hard Eight, Boogie Nights, Magnolia. That's three. Punch Drunk is four. There will be blood. The Master. That's six. Uh, he is born. They're they're a year apart in age. Mm-hmm. And his first film was '96. He's a five years between films of the last several films, wow. and SNL Ooh. doesn't SNL doesn't do parodies of Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah, good point. Right, right. The War of the Andersons, Anderson versus Anderson. <laughs> right. You, you see what I mean? Like that's another interesting. West I mean, is it a fair PT. comparison? Probably not. You know? Yeah. There you go. Oh, death match. I mean, it's probably not a fair comparison. But again, someone who doesn't work very quickly started around the same time. Films are wildly different, right? I think uh, yes. Paul Thomas Anderson. If you go from yeah. uh, Boogie Nights to There Will Be Blood, or, or yeah, whatever, very you know? very different films. Yeah. yeah. So there's there's somebody we should talk about him when when Inherent Vice comes out, actually, um, yeah, which is a great absolutely. book, by the way. Um, if you haven't read it, but anyway, uh, I I keep going back to this comparison thing, but and maybe it's not fair. Maybe it's not fair, but. Um, and maybe I should rewatch Grand Budapest because, I, like I said, I did laugh and I did find some things interesting about it. But, like I said, I also left one. Hmm, yeah, okay. Well, and so. maybe also revisit. Have you revisited uh, the Darjeeling Limited? No. Okay. I need to do that because when I, the first time I saw Darjeeling, I didn't care for it. Um, Me neither. And it's. <sighs> You know, I mean, I think you all, you know, say it's all, you know, a lot of the same, but it is, it is starting to, you know, it is, it is a transitional piece for him, and you might not agree, uh, and also he isn't able to control as much, and the same thing happens with, uh, with the Life Aquatic, because he does shoot a lot of the scenes on the sea, he does shoot a lot of Darjeeling. It was most of it shot at a train in in India, you know. So, so in terms of uh, things that he can and can't control, um, you know, I think there are some magical moments that come out of that, especially when he gives up. So wait a second. Yes. So you're saying the films where he has less control are the better films? Is that what you're saying? Is that your argument? Can be yes. Um, ah, okay. uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a slippery slope. It is a slippery slope. Of those. No, I'm just saying of, that. Of those. <laughs> but I, I'm just saying you should re. Yes, you should revisit, <laughs> or at least if you feel like it, uh, you might want to give Darjeeling another viewing. Um, and I think. I think I need many, to watch Life Aquatic again. Well, because I think I'll, I'll all... give you that. I should I should rewatch Life Aquatic for sure. Yes, do it. Do because it. Because I haven't seen it in a long time, and I didn't, and I had completely forgotten it when I listed his films. You know what I mean? Like so, there's there is a hole in my knowledge there with That's Life Aquatic. It's awful. So long, so I think I need to. I know, I know, I I know, I know. So that that I might rewatch. So, and but... well, I think I think one of the things that uh, comes up though, you know, is the crisis that happens within his characters and so with the life aquatic it's uh you know it's steve zizu's you know crisis of you know growing old and not being who he used Mm -hmm. to be and you know and and many of the characters do experience a type of trauma and and i so i think 
Um, I think some of that is kind of lost. I mean, Darjeeling, it's three brothers, you know, coming together after the death of their father and the abandonment of their mother and how the mother does really doesn't give a shit about them. And so, so yeah, the, I mean, and they're shallow, basically assholes, but, yeah. <laughs> but they do learn something. Uh, and I don't know. I mean, that's not a very good sell for Darjeeling Limited, but it's it's one of those things where, um, and it's not a vain excuse to have the you know go in slow motion to kink songs though it is nice, <laughs> but um, yeah. let me let me, uh, let me ask you one question. I know you have to get going pretty soon, Lara. Uh, let me ask one question. This is like a sincere question. I don't really have an answer myself to it. So he has been working for how many years? Did we decide? Um, uh, it's been fifteen years, something like that. We said right. It's well, long. it's about right. His, Since, uh, uh, Bottle Rocket. Since Bottle Rocket. Bo- Bottle Rocket technically came out ninety. Was it ninety two? The a short was in ninety two, but uh, uh, but let me. So early nineties, right? Uh, so, uh, yeah, we'll just we'll, we'll be safe mid nineties. How's that? Okay. Yeah. So, so we're talking twenty years, years right? So yeah. that's. That's long enough of a career, I would say, for him to have influenced um, the kind of budding directors, screenwriters, and whatnot. Now, right? In, yes. In the, in the way that you know he was influenced by who was so. Because I figure yeah, at this point there are there are people who grew up with what who might have grown up with Wes Anderson films and um, are 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 venturing into into direction themselves and screenwriting. Uh, can you think of any? Do you know of any like? major film directors or, or minor film directors that, that you would say are influenced by him or doing something similar? Um, I, I don't have an answer. Well, the the, the first uh, film that, that a lot of people said was very influenced by Wes Anderson uh, is the film Submarine. It's a British film. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, by, mm-hmm. um, was it Richard Aote? Yeah, it's uh, a fantastic film, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and, and he, you know, he admitted that, yes, oh. that was, you know, one of the directors that he was fond of. And so, British, yeah, British and African American, or not African American, um, he's black. <laughs> so, Afro British. Right? Afro British. Yeah, 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 yeah. What do you say? Yeah. So, um, you know, which also is yeah. interesting, especially considering um, the issue of race in Anderson films are kind of that's another topic altogether. Uh, but um, yeah. which I, you know, I find I could totally, yeah, I could totally see that influence. Sorry, and, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No. I could totally see the influence of Submarine. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so Submarine mm-hmm. is definitely there, and we also have um, one of the actors that have have appeared in the film that you forgot, uh, Noah Taylor. Uh, plays the dad, and Noah Taylor was Wella Darsky in Life Aquatic, which is always weird. Just sorry, side note, huh. uh, on Game of Thrones, whenever Noah Taylor came on, I'm just like, oh my gosh, Wella Darsky's so bad, and I'm like, yeah, no, must Noah Taylor in Game of Thrones is not the same as Wella Darsky in Life Aquatic. Must separate the two. <laughs> Noah Taylor um, from Shine is that the guy? Yes, Noah yeah. Taylor from Shine, and he was originally supposed to be Max Fisher. No, oh wow, and, yes. and you're oh, right. Really? I thought that was him on uh-huh. Game of Thrones too, and but, but the beard sort of like I was. Is that him? Is that not him? Yeah, so wow, that's. I would recommend. I would recommend Submarine to anybody who hasn't seen it. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna rewatch it, thinking about the Wes Anderson. Yes. It's, yeah. It's, 
it's a one. It's a wonderful <laughs> film. It's a it's a wonderful coming of age film. Yeah, I think it's great. Mm-hmm. So yes, watch it. Do it. Um, <laughs> I, yeah. So. Th- so there's that, and I'm then just waiting for a whole generation of post Anderson. <laughs> well, it's some of it's out there um, in terms of like screaming. You know what? Which ones are there? I mean, someone said that like uh, Napoleon Dynamite would be considered. You know, something in the in, you know that would be influenced by him because of mm-hmm. you know it's quirky. I can, I can definitely see that, and the deadpan. I mean, there's so much. Deadpan delivery in Napoleon Dynamite. That's that's part of what gives the movie mm-hmm. its humor. Is the 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 actors just kind of the 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 delivery the the fact that they're out to prove that they've got nothing to prove. You know. Right. Right. Yeah, I hate that movie so much. You hate Napoleon Dynamite <laughs> I, with a passion. Really? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Really? I, I yeah. say that I was never a fan either. <laughs> I thought I, I actually liked Napoleon Dynamite. Maybe, maybe, I guess that makes maybe that makes sense that I'm a big Wes Anderson fan. But yeah, um, I, I thought I thought Napoleon Dynamite was uh, was very very funny. Just didn't talk to me. Maybe I'm a little, a little too old for it when it came out. I don't yeah, hate it. I don't I don't hate it, but I don't love it. How's that? So I'm in the middle. I am the low lover of Napoleon. I, I thought it was great. <laughs> Guess so, so you're a vote, Pedro. That's 2000. Oh, yeah. So that's 2004. So yeah, that could be influenced by West. I could totally see the influence there. Sure. Why yeah, did you guys? Why do you guys hate it so much? I, don't want to take I didn't this. hate it. I know who said hate. So no, Eric. Eric. <laughs> so stupid. I did. I said hate. Oh, okay. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I, I said, hey, okay. it's just so I, I... stupid. Uh, I mean, I don't know how else to put it. You know, I just I don't find I didn't find anything funny in it. I, I thought that, again, the delivery was was ridiculous. It was borderline racist with the LaFonda character. Um, it, it just, it just, I, uh, gosh. Yeah, I don't know. Well, and everyone that told me to see it was like, I saw it, and I was like, that was stupid. They were like, you got to see it again. I'm like, well, you didn't tell me to watch it twice when you first told me to watch it, you know. So. It does. I mean, it takes a little. Yeah. It takes a Sorry. little time to get into it, but then, no, that's fine. I mean, that's I, super. I fun. can answer that question for you, and and it it would be you know a very fitting thing for me to say because it's probably <laughs> the biggest problem I've ever had with 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 six of the seven Wes Anderson films, and that's simply that I couldn't connect to it. Yeah. Um, same. Yeah. Well, okay. I want to change gears. Can I change gears slightly before? Yeah. That's okay. Fine. Yeah. So, um, how many of you uh, have? And I know this is uh, kind of not his films, but it is something that contributes to his aesthetic design. Or when you study him, I know it's crazy. Uh, is his commercial work, and he's not the only director that has to pay the bills by you know mm-hmm. doing commercials. Tarsum's you know sing, you know ha- you know has to do it, and that's how he was able to do the fall. Um, both of the Scots. You know, Harold Morris did that brilliant Ronald McDonald commercial. You know, so uh, but but Sam Raimi did one of my all-time favorite Volkswagen commercials. Which one was his? Oh, the one where you had the you know what's that uh, uh, electronic sort of early techno song where it's like the white fluffy clouds, you know? Oh, okay, the orb. The orb. There you go. And it was like you know on the beat with the boom, boom. Boom. There was a spinning. New oh ball. yeah, I know that one. Yeah, that uh-huh. was, I know that was, And I was like, yes. <laughs> cool. So, 
That was so Sam several, <laughs> yeah. So several, so several directors have you know done done commercial work, and and Wes Anderson's not one of them. So probably the most iconic would be the the American Express one. Where it's a direct. Oh yeah, that was a great commercial. <laughs> yes, and it's an homage to Day for Night, you know, and it actually, you know, kind of points out all of his, sure. his, you know, his, you know, his his, passions, him. Yes. I don't just, know. Can you describe it? Oh, I don't know it either. Yeah. Uh, basic shot, tracking shot. It's yeah, it's one tracking shot, and it basically starts off with uh, Roman Coppola. And Jason Schwartzman in white, and um, and even has um, Wallace, uh, the, the guy that plays, um, uh, he's he's a, one of the uh, Sikh actors. It's on in all of Anderson's films. Okay. But um, so they're all there. So they and they're all, these are all Anderson, obviously players, and they're all there. And and all of a sudden, uh, they're it's on the set from day for night. Practically, oh. and 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 then you know that it's supposed to be like the car drives off and it's supposed to explode and it sounds really fake and you know and then they realize you're on a film set and then and he he does go on a crate and he goes filmmaking and he goes into the whole thing about filmmaking and you know he's got everyone saying I need you know he's like I need my snack and he's holding a snack in his hand uh he you know he wants a gun he wants a bayonet. You know. Um, oh gosh, I'll I'll find it. I don't know it, but yeah. I'll find it, and we'll we'll, it's, we'll it's link. Great. We'll, I'll put it on the. Yes, it's 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 available. It's Wes I Anderson. Just, I just found it. Yeah. Here's something from Adweek that basically um has ten great TV spots directed by Wes Anderson, uh, Stella Artois, IKEA, Amex, and and more. Okay. We'll link and to then, that. On, on and the yeah, definitely go to that. Um, there's the for a Japanese cell phone company with uh, uh, it's it stars Brad Pitt and it's uh, take on um, oh, you know, know the, ta- the, yeah. the Tati you know yeah, um, you know stuff. So it's it's fun. Oh, really, that'd be really yes. Cool. And but but uh, he his latest campaign has been for for Prada, and so the Prada candy ads, which was in three parts. Um, I'm sorry, I love it. So I'm a sucker for it. Let's check those um, out. It's is great. It's got um, what is it? Leah Sadu. I know Chris will know oh, who God, it. she's like. Oh, yes. God, so she's her. she's she plays Candy, and then also there's another so thing bad. for another Prada line that has Jason Schwartzman as a race car driver and his car crashes. <laughs> so it's um. <laughs> So it's one of those things where uh, his commercial work also continues on with some of his other, you know, work as well. And though not on there, he did. I think it was a Nike ad that is a, you know, where it's a take on tennis players like their pong, <laughs> and so okay. it's the sound oh, of pong. Cool. I, I, I think I saw that one. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's and, a good way to experience Wes Anderson. Thirty seconds at a time, right? Is that what you're saying? Well, well, but, Errol, well actually, no, to be fair, Errol Morris called commercials the haiku of um, <laughs> of uh, haiku of media or something like that. You know, <laughs> so which I think is great, right? Because you have to compress so much into such a short thing, right? Yep. Well, yeah, and and especially like with the with the Prada ones, they're they're small films. I mean, I it's just see like those. you said layers yeah. in them, right? Oh gosh. Oh yes, in the Prada candy <laughs> ones, but oh, yeah. like it's just like well, Kenneth Anger did some short films for you know, uh, for a clothing line. So it's one of those things where, <laughs> you know, you never know where you're gonna find you know, the directors doing you know doing you know interesting creative stuff. 
Yeah, sometimes that. that's the best stuff. Like when you yeah. see them doing commercial things where where Go they have it. to do it in a short amount of time. That sometimes that's the best stuff. That's the best you know? work. Yeah. Well, and like the Hyundai ads that were for, um, I think they were for the Super Bowl. There were two. One uh, is a tracking shot uh, where the mom, you know, it's a frantic dad and all the kids are in the kitchen. It's chaos, and then it you find the mom. She's lounging in the car you know, quiet, and, um, you know, it's a fun one. And then they've got another one where uh, they're talking about the future car, and at one point the car is diving the sea, and then the car is flying, and so there's, you know, nod to, you know, chitty-chitty, bang-bang, and, you know, that sort of thing. So okay. just, If I could just interject very quickly, I'm just so glad that Laura brought that up because, uh, and, and of course that, uh, we've all taught the uh, uh, basically writing for radio, TV, and film. We all spend time mm-hmm. on uh, commercials, yeah. and I, I have about a, a dozen or so of my favorite commercials that I um, give out to the students, and, sh- and and I get emotional watching some of them. I mean, you know, there are some commercials out there that I am so in love with of the last twenty years that, or even going farther back than that, like the Roller Girl commercial, Nick. Oh God, Roller Girl is one of my all-time favorites. I know, I know, you love that one. Yeah, and I love the Bacardi Mojito is one of my all-time favorites. The Macy's, <laughs> I got a whole list of these favorite. Uh, the Macy's, the the Macy's one, the, the you're talking about the Christmas one. Yeah, the sixty-second one. Oh my so, God, I love yeah. that one. That oh, one God. just makes me That's well up inside. I'm just such a nostalgia freak that. Uh, so I'm just glad you brought that up. Hey, no, no problem. I know that. Uh, what is it? Well, also kind of mini films, but also fun for mini films slash commercials. Uh, when they did the whole BMW short films, yes, you know that, where I love those films. Those Guy, are Guy Ritchie did those. Yep. Right. Well, no, was, Guy, no. Oh, no, no, Guy Ritchie, Guy Ritchie did, did one. Of those. He did right. one. Yeah. Lee did another one. Yeah. Yeah. They all had Clive Owen. Yeah. Yeah. Tony, right. Tony Scott, right. and Tony Scott's yeah. great because it's right. got yeah. James. Yes, it's got. I like Dang Lee's uh, James a lot. Brown. Yeah, yeah. So I all good films. I love those films. Yeah. So if you um if you don't mind at some point uh one not just you Laura anybody if you can send me links at some point to some of those we'll put those on the show notes uh, that's a rap show dot com okay uh, so people can watch some of those commercials and I can see maybe putting some as teasers on the Facebook page you know maybe until in the in the days and days it'll take me to edit this <laughs> um you know before we put it out but that would be kind of fun because I don't know most of, I know the um. Of the Wes Anderson commercials, I mean. I don't know um, a lot of them, so I would love to see them. So if you guys can send me links, we can put them on the show yeah, notes. If, and, yeah. if Chris has got the, the ad week, that would be great. Yeah, yeah the ad week one would be perfect, actually. I'll, I'll put that on that. Cool. And then one one last question, Lara. So after this um, hour and a half experience, uh, would you come back? Sure, I would love Good. to. Because you're like <laughs> awesome. a host. We've known you, and we, you know, you're our, our friend and our colleague, and we love you. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm just bummed that I won't be able to help. You know, if you guys do eventually do the Eternal Sunshine, I'd love to do that. I could talk a little tiny bit about Kaufman. I could talk. I could talk about oh, lots right. of things. Yeah. If you guys ever do anything about Hannibal, the series, or even anything about Hannibal all okay. over the place, uh, love to talk about that. All right. Oh if my gosh. Tarant- if you Tarantino, we can have you on. You seem like you know a lot about Tarantino. <gasps> I, I do. I do. I know my Tarantino. Um, I. I, I, I don't worship the altar that is yeah. Tarantino, but I but I <laughs> can talk. Yeah. No, 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 exactly on the same wave. But I've when. I've seen all the movies. Yeah, and, and we yeah. appreciate. Well, except one. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't seen one. Which one haven't you seen? Inglorious. 
Really? Yep. Wow. I, mean, I just haven't gotten around to it. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Good movie. No problem with it. I just haven't gotten around to it. Yeah. So yeah, I have yeah. So please feel free. I'd love to be a All part right. of it. Yeah, we'll keep you in mind when we talk about some of that stuff because you know we'll get around to it. <laughs> Eventually. eventually we uh, we try to release every uh, tw- twice a month every other week basically although we don't always succeed at that so you know over the course of a year we should get 26 you know so eventually we'll get to everything ever made <laughs> eventually <laughs> we'll get there right so cool well thanks for coming on i know you have to run thank you Thank you. Well, it, was, it, was, it was a lot of fun. Great. This is a lot of fun. This is great. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we'll, link to, we'll also wait. link to your book, to the book that you're in. That would be great. And uh, I'm gonna. I want to end with the, with one of my favorite lines from an Anderson film. This is an adventure. Cut. That's a wrap. You've been listening to That's a Wrap with Drs. Nicholas Schlegel, Christopher Dolan, and myself, Eric Marshall. You can find us at That's a Wrap Show.com. That will get you to Facebook and Twitter, and we do appreciate iTunes reviews. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next time.